Welcome and welcome back to Not Your Token Minority, an interview podcast that explores and celebrates the stories of the global majority. In this episode, my guest is taking us on a bit of a mindfulness journey. Bonnie is a business owner and fellow podcaster based in Auckland, and this year has been a big one for her in terms of spiritual growth and exploration. We talk all about the journey she's been on to slowing down and learning gratitude for the smaller things in life. We also chat about the biggest thing she's learned as a small business owner, and I get to the bottom of why she loves jumping out of planes so much. Good evening and welcome to the podcast, Bonnie. How's your day going? Uh, pretty good so far, as good as lockdown gets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I can't even like remember what week we're in. <laughs> um, uh, I think like it's week five or six. Or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I saw a friend that um, posted the other day that we're on like 42, three days now and like it's crazy. It's really weird how fast the time has flown. Yeah, it's like we've got time stolen and daylight saving has started already. <laughs> yeah, I know. Almost the end of the year, like three months till Christmas. Three months? Four months? October, three months. Three, um, three months, yeah. <laughs> less than three months. Yeah, it's yeah wild. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned um, that you were able to like take some time t- for yourself and kind of rejuvenate yourself and do some learning and things. Are you able to share a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so um, this whole year has been a little bit of about journey of learning about myself. And over the lockdown, I just wanted to do some online courses to further recharge myself and learning new skills. So I'm planning to be a breathwork coach in the future, probably next year. So I've been doing some courses online and this whole lockdown, I've been doing either yoga or meditation daily or sometimes both um, in the same day. And I feel like just taking things slower has really changed my view of life and just feeling a lot more present. I feel like people were just so busy all the time. Like we, we're we so used to the nine-to-five schedule, you know, each weekday it's all routine, just like rushing and go. And this opportunity has really led us to slow down and enjoy more the more of the beauty in life and so have you always been really drawn to the sort of like more spiritual meditation yoga that kind of thing no (laughs) I used to be a really (laughs) impatient person and quite reactive and I used to be a lot more future focused like always quite impatient. I know what I want. I know my goals. And then I used to get quite impatient, just always wanted to get there already. Over the years, I think just having the business has really taught me to be more patient with life and good things takes time. So every day I kind of wake up now, just I try to really focus on just the day ahead of me and anything I can't control. I just, I don't control. And I think another biggest thing that has really changed for this whole view of being present is not having expectation. So be hopeful and have be op- optimistic, but don't have expectation of what's going to happen in the future has really helped me. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And having like appreciation for the everyday and like yeah, the, the being present in the moment and not thinking ahead or living in the past. Yeah, living in the past can really haunt us and you know, make us 
it's kind of like punishing ourselves for the things that has already happened. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned a business and um, you're working on like becoming a breathwork coach. I'd love to talk more about your journey in terms of how you got to the present day. So mm-hmm. shall we go all the way back? Do you want to tell me a bit more about your background and your upbringing? Yeah. Okay. So I was born and raised in Shanghai in China. And when I was 17, I moved over to New Zealand. I went to Dunedin first and studied there and then moved to Auckland after I finished uni. When I was younger, I always kind of knew China wasn't a place for me. I was always quite, not necessarily just creative, but I had, I was very honest, brutally honest about my ideas and I didn't like to just think the same as everyone else. I like to just be me and celebrate my crazy ideas all the time, even as a kid. Um, So I was always really honest and a bit blunt with teachers. And I kind of knew leading towards my teenage years, I wouldn't really do well in China because um, they kind of wanted everyone to think the same over there. And so I knew I wanted to leave home at one point. So for a school exchange, I came to New Zealand for three weeks to South Island and I really enjoyed Dunedin and Queenstown and back then I was really into snowboarding so I kind of took that as an opportunity and that was also the reason why I picked New Zealand over other countries is I wanted to do snowboarding two seasons (laughs) so that was quite an easy pick so I came to New Zealand and went to Dunedin had a great time there once I finished uni my I had two different office jobs and the second one that I had I actually went through pretty extreme manipulation and emotional abuse from two of my bosses and I really loved that job I was doing marketing digital marketing and graphic design and I think if I didn't have a bad team I may have stayed in that industry because I really like what I did but thankfully because of what I've gone through I had to quit my job and protect myself and it kind of led to me accidentally starting a business I wanted to ask you a question around knowing from a very young age that China wasn't for you and that you wanted to basically create your own path. Do you think that was uh, essentially like a part of your personality? Like, was it your parents? Um, Because as you said, like China as a society wants everyone to think the same. Mm. Um, So where do you think you got that motivational inspiration from to think differently to everyone else? I don't know because my parents are very traditional, (laughs) especially my mom. They're very traditional. Um, Dad always supported whatever I wanted to do, which was really good. I'm super thankful. Um, Mom didn't really want me to leave when I was at that age and she wanted me to wait a little bit longer. But dad was just like, you do you. Uh, I'm always here to support you, which I was super thankful for. I don't know. I felt like I was a little bit rebellion, but then I was only rebellion towards things I don't agree with because the things I agree with, I'm a really good rule follower. Mm, Interesting. Mm. If we can maybe look at some of the similarities, if there are any, or differences between life in China and life in New Zealand. So, for example, creativity and different opinions weren't encouraged at school. So if we were reading something, the teachers would like us to have very similar answers after reading the same thing, which I don't think anyone would have exactly the same thoughts after reading it, which 
in most of the Western country, it's encouraged to be a bit more creative and have your own style and, you know, have your own writing or art creativity styles. But in a way, I do find in New Zealand now that, or also even just social media online, people have this trend or syndrome of just like following other people's opinion. And it's a, like a safe area to join, if that makes sense. Like I really see that in the whole cancelling culture. Like a lot of the time people may not have necessarily had their own extremely strong negative opinion towards something, but because someone, especially if someone has some online influence, have said something, and then the rest of people will really just jump on board to attack someone without even having their own opinion and thoughts. So that, in a way, is kind of similar to how I felt like life was like in China. We were all just slightly forced to agree with the same thing and to have our own individual opinions stripped away from us. I just feel like whatever I said, I always got told, you can't say this or you were wrong when I felt like I was just speaking the truth. So over and over, I'll get told that by teacher, by elderly, because in Chinese culture, teacher's always right and elderly's always right and you've got to just follow whatever they say. And I've always just be true to my own thoughts and opinions. Sometimes I'm just expressing myself, but I always got told off. And deeply, I just knew, even as a kid, that wasn't right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't not be heard. And so you came over to New Zealand. Do you mm. remember what your first like impressions were or thoughts in terms of the country, its people and the society? Mm, I went to Dunedin first, so that was a lot smaller than Auckland. People there, I think there, there are definitely huge differences between people in Auckland and people in Dunedin. People in Dunedin are a lot more chilled. They're just less desire and everyone more like kind of minding their own business and living their own life, which is amazing. And the differences and uniqueness are more celebrated in Dunedin. In Auckland, I do feel like people do tend to follow trends and want to fit into social groups a lot more than people down south. They're definitely still that vibe in Auckland. But again, the individual talents and creativity are really celebrated in New Zealand overall. Like we love, you know, small artists and we love supporting um, small musicians and things like mm. that. Is there anything now that you've lived in New Zealand for a mm. while, is there anything that you miss about China? Mm, not much other than food. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the food is amazing. Yeah, food is so good. Um, yeah. There are a lot of, yeah, darkness about China, a lot of things about the society I don't really agree with there. So like the government and then the environment, just a lot of ethics are very wrong. They like a lot of businesses all about money and there are just no morals. So I was very glad I got out at that age because a lot of things I don't even want to hear or see about China these days still. So something that has always intrigued me is Chinese people's undying loyalty to their country, even if mm. they've lived overseas for decades. Um, they still hold on to that loyalty to their country, even though they can see the flaws. And I wondered if you had any insights or thoughts or like perspectives around why 
people still maintain that strong like you know passion almost for their home yeah country. i actually saw that as a stats um on explained on netflix recently about our loyalty to our country and up with like china people from china were up there with norway netherlands those countries while their gdp was were lower on the chart i feel like a lot of that were it was because of the way we got brought up at school so there were a lot of material at school that we got shoved into our brain it's kind of like brainwashing from a young age that how much we're proud of our country and how much we um you know the the government or our ancestors have done for us there were just a lot of even history being slightly manipulated on the textbooks as well i feel like way back way back in china like china had a lot of amazing things with art with our history with our inventions all of that and then from a few emperors onwards they've just lost a lot of their good things and it became more and more just corrupt over time i have moments of country proud for example like china get a lot of medals at the olympics yeah. <laughs> yep gymnastics yeah. oh maybe maybe not this year but in general yeah in general they have some sports you know they they've really put in effort time money to train the athletes so when when the country is doing good for certain things then you would be very proud of your own country do you still see yourself as Chinese or how do you see your own identity now? My identity, I would, I would say I have been influenced by Chinese culture growing up um, and then having my parents still being over there, my whole family over there, I still have a lot of that in my in my blood, definitely. But I think ever since I was a kid, the way I think wasn't really Chinese. I always seeked freedom. So I don't really see myself being a Kiwi either. I don't feel like I, I, I am a part of a society, but I live here and I, I call New Zealand my home now. Okay, so you're in New Zealand. What do you think are some of your greatest, most formative life experiences and the things that you learned from them? Well, starting a business has, I think that changed my life completely in the last four and a half years. Um, you constantly just have to learn how to do things that you've never done before, constantly pushing yourself into an area that you're slightly uncomfortable with, but you do things out of self-trust, trusting other people and faith. I didn't start a business for money and I never use the regular stats to to check how healthy my business is, for example, you know, KPI or um, any other business stats. And the whole business kind of grew just out of nowhere. Like I didn't, I was expecting just me being self-employed for years and years. And because I really cared about people, I really cared about what I can deliver to them. I cared about them as human. I made connection with them. I became friends with all my clients. The business just kind of took off and my clientele just grew and grew and grew over the years to the point it was not sustainable to just manage by myself. I needed to hire team members and kind of got forced to expand. And then over the years, having staff who became one of my best friends, she taught me to care about my employees as an employer as well. 
which I think that's something a lot of the employers are really lack of is trust and caring about your employees' personal life quality. Especially small businesses owners, I would say they they find it hard to let go of their own baby because it's it's their own small business. You know, they've put so much effort, so much blood and tear and sweat into it, and they find it's hard to trust other people to take care of it, to look after it, and always worry that people backstab you or whatnot as a small business. And my first employee, and also she's now my best friend, she really taught me over the years how to how to trust an employee. And because I cared about her so much as a friend, so I then cared a lot about her as an employee, about her personal life, her personal life satisfaction, her work satisfaction. From then on, I was able to transfer that into my other later employees to also care about their life, care about their growth, care about their purpose. I think a lot of business owners, they forget that we can never achieve our dreams if we don't have other people there to help us, right? Whether they're your your staff, your clients, if we don't have their support, we'll never reach our goal. A hundred percent. And work is such a huge part of so many people's lives. And I th- I feel like as an employer, it is like you have such a privilege to be able to nurture a lot of people and to help with their not just professional development, but also personal growth as well. So it's a pretty special position to be in. So actually, I realize that we haven't actually talked about what it is that you do. (laughs) (laughs) So can you explain a little bit about that? So I have a beauty studio and I started off just doing nails and makeup because I used to do freelance makeup when I was a student in Dunedin and then about half month half year and I decided to add eyebrow services to the business because I was always quite into it but never had an opportunity to actually do that service and that just kind of took off as soon as I launched it to the point that I withdrew makeup from my service menu really quickly and then about two and a half years later I withdrew nails off the service menu as well and my main business index studio is just mainly focusing on eyebrows now we're very specialized we also try to keep things really natural as well we don't do eyebrow tattoo we just do shape and tint and just to enhance what people naturally have got without changing it too much or without giving them anything fake Wow, people must be obsessed with their eyebrows if you're yeah. able to have a business which solely specializes in eyebrows. Yeah, it can it can just be like a really subtle tidy up, but it just make people feel so confident. A lot of time, it, even without the tint, just like a really subtle tidy up shaping. Um, like recently, I'll say like maybe three months ago, I had this young girl that got brought in by her mother. She had very bushy eyebrows. She was only 13. It was her very first eyebrow appointment ever. So both her and her mom, they were very nervous. And I can tell she was just like a little bit self-conscious because her eyebrows were so bushy and made her feel a little bit more like boyish. And I can tell she was really nervous and her mom was nervous. So I spent extra time really explaining to them what I was going to do. And we always do this thing called brow mapping, which we do the measures and draw out on their skin before we actually start the service. So that gives them a little preview and make them feel more comfortable knowing what we are actually about to do before we do it. 
So I've done all of that and explained to her and her mom what I was about to do and everything looks really natural and they were really happy. And when we were all finished, she I can just see that massive smile on her and her mom's face. Her mom came in later for her own eyebrows as well, which that's a good sign, right? <laughs> mm, yeah. Definitely. But, but I can just see how much confidence it changed in a young girl. Like she was, you know, self-conscious and felt like I felt like she might got laughed at or bullied at school about her eyebrows. And just seeing her smile made me feel really happy that I could just do a little thing to make someone feel really good for, you know, four weeks. <laughs> That's such an amazing confidence booster because like the preteen and teenage years, I'm sure you also know, like they can be so just full of angst and just like you don't know who you are and like you're always comparing yourself to other people. Yeah, I think the teenagers, they really suffer from, you know, comparing with their peer and then a lot of peer pressure from that age group. Um, But also, for example, if she went to a place that people didn't really take care of her, she could have had a bad experience and that could, you know, really made her feel even worse about herself and then she could feel really embarrassed with her new eyebrows if they were too thin, they, if they didn't look natural and then that could also lead to, like, blame between her and her mom. It, like, just, it's such a small thing but it could really just change how people feel about themselves yeah um I think the eyebrows frame your face so much more than a lot of people realize and it's not just eyebrows right like it it extends to other features on your face and also the way that women use makeup to feel more confident there are there are definitely like there are lines blurred between doing too much to uh, almost like a self-hate to change how you look versus um, embracing your feature and celebrating who you are. I think there is like a massive difference between why we wear makeup and why we do things we do. So I really try to keep it within that line of just enhancing what we've all got and not changing the way we actually look. How do you feel about things like plastic surgery and things like fillers and Botox? Oh, I feel like those things are very unsustainable. That same as, same goes to eyebrow tattoo. All these things require like yearly or regularly touch up. If we do it at such a young age, let's say we do it at, let's say 30, age of 30, are we really going to keep putting all these things in our body every single year for the rest of our life, for the next 60 years? It's not just maintenance. Is Is this good for our body to always have these things added like external things added to ourselves Mm. and so do you do you have any thoughts around people who argue like things like oh like botox is feminist like it makes women feel more confident or are you more kind of like it's just well i'm against i'm against whoever made us feel like we're not feminine enough without it in the first place if that makes sense because, for example, this is like a huge topic. For example, um, women having lines on their face is seen as unwanted feature. And when men have a little bit of wrinkles, have um, gray hair, salt and pepper hair, it's attractive. They get marked as, you know, silver fox. And it's just how society and media manipulate how we think. Being in a beauty industry, I really dislike how a lot of you know, skincare, makeup, plastic surgery, all of that use these as a thing to attack women, to attack ourselves. 
and then make us make us feel insecure that we need to do these things to feel better about ourselves. And if we don't do the, these things, we're not looking after ourselves. We're not doing self care. Yeah, it's really interesting, hey, and I think it's such a complex issue as well because, like, I myself, I love a bit of skincare because I love my self care time. Um, just you know, at the end of the day removing my makeup or sunscreen or whatever and just like having that like 10 minutes or whatever to myself but then it's like am I just feeding into the machine am I feeding into a system that's inherently anti-feminist and sexist and misogynistic and capitalist I think having a routine to take care of ourselves is so beautiful it's very well needed to to have that even just like you said it's five ten minutes of slow time just knowing that you're looking after yourself but the whole skincare industry, to be very honest, I know a little bit about skincare. The brands, the major brands are creating problems for our skin. So they sell products, they create problems, and then they keep selling you more more products to fix these problems they've already created. So, for example, a lot of products, they say they're anti-aging, soothing lines, blah, blah, blah. But because of the ingredients are so active and they're getting advertised to be used daily, we are thinning out our skin barriers and creating premature aging ourselves. Yeah, actually, I read something recently about someone, like they took, you know, that thing that you can do where it tells you the age of your skin. Mm. And he had like initially an age that was like younger than his actual age. But mm. then he started using like the serum and then he took the test again and it like aged him considerably. Yeah, um, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of um because I feel like in the past especially few years skincare has just like taken off like so many it's gone bananas (laughs) yeah like so many people on like TikTok or social media or whatever they like pretend to be experts like rubbing ice on their face and like doing chemical peels at home Mm -hmm. or like microdermabrasion and then they like ruin their skin our skin is so simple it just needs topical hydration and then you apply a barrier to lock this hydration. That's pretty much it. That's all we need. And also protect ourselves from uh, the UV to use SPF. And that's all we need. But we, for example, that's becoming a beauty podcast. But for example, <laughs> um, oily skin that the brands will sell very harsh cleansing products to to remove the oil. But then it's actually creating a problem. Then your skin will produce more and more oil because it's been way like overly stripped away. So I feel like brands, businesses, business owners have a lot of responsibility to be ethical about what they sell, what service they provide. So that kind of goes back to being a business owner. How ethical are they? Like all the major skincare brands you see in all the retail store right now that we can see, all those fancy brands, not many of them are that ethical. I can, I can, just be honest with you and say that it's all about money. It's all about um, making more money, making the brands more and more famous and popular. They don't really care about what actually happens to people's skin. They don't really care about the amount of waste they produce in the world with just packaging. Oh, skincare is so heavy on packaging. Yeah. One of the worst in the world to create packaging other than, you know, FMCG goods. Okay, so how did we get onto this topic? Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you more about your business learnings. So. Yeah. so, yeah, so I think with just being a business owner, the 
people side, like, you know, taking care of people, our customers and my staff have been a huge journey for me to really connecting with people. And then it kind of also taught me over the years, doesn't matter how successful you are. I think a lot of time, you know, people work and create business and do things. A lot of it is a little bit for the ego. So like at the beginning, because the way I got brought up, I wasn't very validated by my parents. So I always wanted to seek some sort of validation. I had a lot of fight and flight response as well. I was a bit of a workaholic, always wanted to be a perfectionist about everything I do. So I think at the beginning, I definitely had a lot of ego driven um, behind the reason I was working so hard. And then over the years, as the business grew, as my friendship with everyone grew, it kind of made me realize the most important thing is people. It's the people. If I care about them, if I love them, and if I get supported by them, when I win, they celebrate it with me. That's when it gets amazing. What has it been like with your business during COVID? Mm, during COVID, well, we can't operate until level two. So we are fully closed and not functioning at all over level three and four. But we've survived it before. I don't feel like it's it's not damaging to the business because once we go back, everyone comes back to support us even more than before. Definitely business has loss of income. The business is going negatively day by day. But I'm just so appreciative that I've got all these beautiful people in my life as long as they're healthy they're safe they're happy I'm happy and grateful money loss can always be re-earned again on the money point do you feel any pressure or stress from you know being a provider of another person's income Mm, definitely there's definitely it's not really stress it's more of a responsibility so when you do things you need to be responsible you you can't just act for yourself, you have to act for a few others who actually rely on you for their personal life as well. I think our government has been really supportive as well with the subsidy, the resurgence payments. If without without these, I would be way more stressed out, like 100%. But at least they've given some minimal cover to to help to support the small businesses a little bit. Yeah. What are your thoughts on... Uh, because I've I've been seeing a lot more people during this lockdown kind of feeling agitated or impatient to get out of level three mm. and back into level two. What are your thoughts around that? Like, do you think that their concerns are justified? Well, there are people seeing different things for different reasons and it's all kind of affecting their life slightly differently. But I think going hard for a shorter amount of time is way better than going softer and then suffer for longer totally (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) if we don't get it under control we're just gonna suffer for longer like a lot of other countries but i'm very angry at people who are just so privileged and saying how we have our freedom stripped away from them what we have so much freedom we have so much freedom what are we talking about freedom compared to those other countries who is going through way worse political natural disaster wise going through all the disasters we have so much freedom just because we can't hang out with mates for a few weeks or we can't go get our coffee the amount of privilege people have is just like shocking i can't even things can wait 
Do you have a lot of sympathy for other small business owners who are maybe like struggling? Oh, absolutely. Even just looking at the travel industry as a whole, you know, New Zealand is quite a big um, travel destination in the world pre-COVID. And 100% this has um, um, impacted a lot of a lot of the businesses, not just the travel industry itself, but all the hospitality and entertainment industry as well. And a lot of people have to change their life path because of COVID. Things they've worked for their whole life, they have to give up. Some might even be family generational business and they have to give up and start something else. But I always say, go with the flow. You're at exactly where you need to be right now. If life has thrown stones at you and you have to dodge the stone and do something else, then that's where you need to go. Don't get so attached to things you had in the past and it will lead to new opportunities, lead to new learning, lead to new skills, lead to new lifestyle, new friends, everything new if you take on a challenge well. So tell me about your journey into the whole mindfulness aspect of your life. So doing more meditation, the breath work, all of that. Like what Mm. made you realize that you want to do more of that? Well, I was like I told you at the beginning of the podcast, I was always a very impatient person, very reactive, and I can get really like you know wind up really easily by myself, even without other people doing anything to me. And years ago, I tried. I've been trying meditation for years, and I just couldn't really get into it. But until I learned how to breathe properly, especially doing really rhythm-based breathing and just counting your breath. And just trying, my pure focus is more like a workout, like a breath workout instead of being mindful or whatnot. That was at the starting point. So once you can control your breathing and really breathe into your whole diaphragm, into your belly, instead of just that shallow chest breathing, your brain chemicals and everything just start to change. So then you create an opportunity for yourself to be more mindful, to to meditate, to think about the things in your life like for example now we're in September I remember in February this year I was hitting my rock bottom like mental health wise and not a single thing has changed in my life I have the same friends I have the same job same employees same hobbies same everything in my life I live the same place own the same things everything was the same it's my attitude towards all these little things my attitude towards life changed do you ever have days where you're just having a bad day oh, and, all the time. You, <laughs> and, you, and you start sort of reverting back to the way you were thinking before? Uh, I, I have bad days still, not as regular as before. I still have, you know, definitely at least one or two really bad days a month at least. And then on those bad days, I just feel irritated for no reason, but I don't really, I don't really it's not nothing particular. It's not like I'm trying to chase any goals or it can be just anything happened that day just really irritates me or something people have said just really irritates me. But I I understand myself more now as a person. So when these days happen, I don't beat myself up. I just let it be. And then it's, it's okay to have mood up and down. It gets worse when we are punishing ourselves for it. I'd be like, oh, why am I feeling like this? Um, I shouldn't do this or I should be more productive. I should be 
not eating these snacks. If you were doing it already, just do it. Don't blame yeah, yourself for doing it. <laughs> Commit 100%. <laughs> yeah. Just let yourself be. Let it all out. Yeah. 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 So do you think that in general or as a society, we just are setting ourselves up to burn out and to not be as grateful or happy as we could be? Well, I think the issue that I've um, I've felt like the reason that we're getting pushed to being under stress and having so much anxiety all the time is that the whole world is so fast paced. Everything is so instant. We always seek instant fix. We always seek instant gratifications. So if we're bored, we can play games. We can, if we're lonely, we can talk to friends instantly online. If we, if we're hungry, we can order takeaways delivered to your house at the front door within half an hour. Everything is just all instant online shopping social media and then we starting to forget things take time like i said at the beginning of this episode things take time and then we need to sit in our uncomfortableness and we need to learn how to do that and that's something we just haven't been taught so i think mindfulness breathing technique and a lot of other mental health skills should be taught since we were little how many people sit in their loneliness without messaging friends and just like be with it to find out why you feel that way it's not like you should isolate yourself like not in general but certain days or time when you feel really alone how often we just sit in that silence if we're bored how often we just try not to use social media or playing games online not even watching tv and stuff like you know everything there's just so much mental stimulation from social media, game, TV, everything. Tell me about your skydiving. Well, my best friend got me a voucher for Christmas and I was just going to do a tandem jump. And when I was booking online, I saw a tab called Learn to Skydive. And like over years, I've seen some videos of people doing solo skydiving and it just looks like they're having the best time of their life. Everyone's always smiling and they're just enjoying it so much. So ever since I saw that tab on the website, I started to look up like what that program is called. It's AFFF program. So I looked up on YouTube and saw heaps of videos and I was like, oh my God, this looks amazing. Like I really, really want to give this a go. So um, yeah, I had some savings at the time and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it and then just see how I feel. And when I did the ground course, and did my first few jumps, I was just so hooked. But at the beginning was more of like an adrenaline rush sort of hook, like that sort of adrenaline addiction (laughs) to start off. But as I kept learning the sport, especially after 30, 40, 50 jumps, you start to learn this is something that you have to be super patient with. Again, something really challenging my patience and something to keep me really grounded and humble. Because if you're too confident like overly confident or when once you become complacent that's when the danger starts in the sport so you've got to always be humble there are always so many people way better than you and also that's a sport that really tell you to only compare it with yourself my my question my next question was going to be like how how do you know when you're good at skydiving well we're all just having fun in the sky we're not really trying to some people are, have a lot of ego and that's why they do this sport. But to me, I think one of the most important things, one of the greatest thing I got from this sport is the amount of self-trust I've earned. 
I just always know I've got it. I've I've got I've got me. If I can do that sport, if I can get myself and not die <laughs> and falling towards the earth, I'm so much more capable of doing anything else. And I trust myself. I trust people way more as well. Because every single jump we do, we put our life in the line in a way that maybe sometimes other sports I feel like it's more dangerous in a way. But just falling towards the earth always just makes you think about life and death more. Do you still get that thrill with every jump that you make? No, not really the thrill. Only when if things go quite wrong in a jump, you sometimes wonder, oh my God, that could have gone really wrong. But um, most of the time, you don't really think about um, the danger side of the sport. You are really just having a great time with mates. And also the sport actually is a little bit different to what I expected first. I thought it was more of an individual sport because, you know, everyone kind of jumping on their own with their own gear but it's actually uh, a major team sport we're all having fun together with mates and doing fun things together and if you're just always flying by yourself you get so bored really quickly when you say fun things together do you mean like in the sky yeah in the sky we do we do formations and we do jumps sometimes just do really silly stupid jumps with friends together um you can get really creative (laughs) there's nothing you can't do there are some there are a few things you're not allowed to do in the sky, but um, the limit is quite um, – the, the sky is the limit, really. <laughs> Going on the life or death point that you mentioned just before, I mean, I can definitely see it, like, hurtling towards the earth. Um, <laughs> and you've got, like, your parachute is the only thing preventing you from, like, smacking into the ground. What have been some of the most profound feelings or thoughts that you've had in this process since you started skydiving? Mm, I think one of the biggest thing is I want to be more me and I want to be more honest with people around me, even more honest. I'm already like a really honest person, but I just want to live with less regrets and not just a sport, but in just in general, like I'll, I quite often think about, you know, I could get hit by a car tomorrow, just driving on the road and it could not be my own mistake. It could be someone else doing something and lose control. Like we all have chances of dying every single day almost. And have we lived a life if we're going to die within a week or like let's say we, you know, get terminal cancer or whatnot. If we're going to die in a week or a month and you look back to your life, do you feel like you've you've given it all? Have you lived your life? You know, have we told people the things we wanted to tell them? Whether it's beautiful words, whether it's the hard truth that we've always wanted to tell someone. Have we done all of those things? So if we have that split moment of life flashing in front of you that you you think you're about to die soon, would you have regrets or would you be like, oh man, I've, I've, you know, given all to this life already. I'm happy. I think in general, like thinking about death to me as a good thing is that I am focusing being more present as well. I think less about what, I want in the future, but I haven't done yet, if that makes sense. Like, I turn them into reality sooner. I think I'm like 100% on the same page as you with that respect. Um, And I'm always conscious as well of how, like, privileged a position that is because we are in a position where we can think like that, Um, Mm. whereas there are people who aren't afforded that opportunity because – I don't know. There are so many different circumstances that different people Mm -hmm. are in. But even, for example, even people 
without the budget to do extraordinary things. But for example, we can choose to just sit at home or we can choose to go for a walk and it's free. And it's up to us what we want to do with our day. We can go out for a walk and we see exciting things happening, even if it's street, even if it's not nature. We can, we can, what people watch and get some sense of joy out of that. Well, what about, for example, like say, like a solo mom with like four kids and she's also working a job trying to support her family? Like, Mm. in what ways do you think someone like that can instill more of this sort of like mindful, peaceful, Living in the present. Well, first of all, how lucky she is to be able to have children. A lot of people can't have children. They've tried for years and years and they can't have children. So it's blessed that she can have not one but four kids. And having the opportunity to give love, to give unconditional love to these beautiful beings and to teach them lessons and to show them how strong and independent she can be. And it's amazing that she's also got a job as well. A lot of people can't have a job. So like just first of all, just the starting point, I don't even know the details about this woman's life, but like as a starting point, just celebrate that she can have kids. And it's so lucky that she's been in a position that she's had them and and their blessings in their own way, even though maybe that's with the wrong people, with the wrong um, timing. But just being able to bring life and soul into this life is really beautiful and wonderful. Like, for example, just being locked down with kids, there are two different mindset people can look at this. Some people would always complain, be like, oh my God, I, I'm stuck at home with these little monsters screaming at me. Don't have any privacy and freedom. They're always just right there. But then you can also look at them and be like, how lucky I am. I get to spend some more time with my kids. I don't usually get to see them as much. And now I have more time with them. And we can do more things together. I can teach them cooking. I can do these these things with them. Like it, it's it's all mindset. It's how you, how great, like the more gratitude we have, the better quality life we would live, even with the exact same situation. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time <laughs> this evening. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Um, yeah, my pleasure. And too. yeah, and to talk about, skincare and skydiving (laughs) and being grateful but yeah thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story thank you for interviewing me my pleasure to being on your podcast thank you as always for listening as i mentioned in the intro bonnie also has her own podcast called the everyday us that focuses on mental health and personal growth She kindly invited me on as a guest to talk about growing up as an only child and my relationship with my parents. I'll link to the podcast in the show notes.